I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. I have an important question for you that I want you to take some time and contemplate before you answer. What are you willing to wait for? What in your life is so important that it's worth waiting for? Now, you may think that we're continuing our conversation about Humana Vitae because that would be something that Humana Vitae would ask of us. Are there things in your life, are there relationships in your life that are so valuable that to be used in their proper context, you are willing to wait for? It's a big question, uh, but it's not the one we're asking today. Uh, we will be talking about that in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be going with my lovely bride out to the Humana Vitae conference out in, uh, in California. Uh, you can still register for it by going to celebrate HV50. HV is in Humana Vitae. HV50.com. Celebrate HV50.com. Register for that conference and come wave to us. See us there. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about uh, actually the, the Feast of St. Benedict. And, uh, and what does that have to do with waiting? Well, we, we wait on the Lord. We take the time Benedictine monasticism calls to us, and, and the universal call to holiness calls to us to recognize that some things are worth waiting for. Connection with the intimate and, and infinite God are worth waiting for. And so we wait in prayer and we wait in silence, and we wait in work to connect with God. This week, uh, my children learned a lesson in waiting. You probably saw on the news that this last Thursday, there was a, there was a big to-do with Build-A-Bear. That's right. Uh, Build-A-Bear had a pay-your-age uh, promotion where all kinds of, uh, any, any child that was accompanied by adult, and not just one child per adult, like most places, like sane places, no, any number of children that you bring with you, you could buy any of their stuffed animals uh, for as many dollars as that child's age. Now, most of us would look at that and say, that seems like a bad idea. And uh, whoever was in marketing at Build-A-Bear did not get that memo, did not have that thought, and apparently they didn't give anybody any warning. Not only did they not give the public much warning, although I can only imagine how crazy it would have been if they had, uh, not only did they not give the public any warning uh, where we were, they didn't give the other stores in the mall any warning either. So uh, my, my wife, uh, the mother of seven beautiful children thought, hey, we're never going to get Build-A-Bear if not at this time because we have seven children and seven children precludes the cost of a Build-A-Bear bear on most days. So she, she got the brilliant idea that this would be the perfect time to do that and got all seven children because I'm at work, right? All seven children, pile them into the car at 9 a.m. They barely, I mean, the, 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 the cereal bowls were still on the table. They bolted out the house. They went and they were at the mall at 9 a.m. And they were still halfway down the mall to the other side. And, uh, and they thought, well, we'll wait this out. 
And so there comes a, a point where you have waited so long that you say, I am not giving up until we see this through. And so my wife, my darling, saintly wife, with seven children in tow, two of them in a double stroller and the others, you know, I mean, th these are ages 10 to almost one year. They stayed in line for eight hours. I got home from, I left, I left uh, for work before they left, but I got home from work before they got home from Build-A-Bear. But they waited to the end. They did a remarkable job. I, I have no idea how they pulled it off. They, nobody had a meltdown. They all did fine. They all got, a couple got Star Wars bears and, and a couple of unicorns made it into the house and a Spider-Man bear made it into the house. And they are, they're stoked. They said to themselves, these, and their mother probably said it to them multiple times over, these bears are worth waiting for and you will appreciate them. Because <laughs> I could just imagine if they came home and three days later they said, you know what, I, th this is no fun anymore. No, we want them to now appreciate the effort that they went to uh, to achieve that and to acquire those bears. Well, you and I have something so much more valuable than a Build-A-Bear. We have the God of the universe, the infinite God whom heaven cannot contain, who desires to be in relationship with you and with me. And if we really had a chance to understand that, because, you know, we, we, we understand as much as we can and we can hear those words over and over and we can grasp as much as our experience allows us to do. But if we really understood that, who it was that calls to us, that wants to be in relationship with us, there would be no line in this universe that we would not queue up in. There would be no limit to the amount of time we would spend in that line to spend just a little bit of time with the infinite God of the universe who created us and who longs for us. But we have a hard time with our schedules, with uh, the, the, the demands of our lives, even setting aside time for adoration or for a mass other than Sunday morning, sometimes even setting aside Sunday morning. But here's the thing. That God of the universe is the perfect happiness. We find our greatest fulfillment when we are in union with him because our souls hunger for the infinite and they can never be filled by anything finite, no matter how much of it we, we get no matter how many Build-A-Bears we acquire, we are made for the infinite and he is waiting in that line, longing that we would be with him. He's waiting for you and he's worth waiting for. When we come back, we're gonna talk about St. Benedict, the monastic rhythms and putting ourselves in a place where we're disposed to receive the grace of God. We're gonna have that conversation with Craig St. Clair. He's the product manager of Verbum. For more information, go to verbum.com or stick around for our conversation right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we're talking a little bit about St. Benedict, because his feast day was just on the 11th, and uh, he's very important in my life. We as a family participate as, as much as we can as a family in the rule of St. Benedict. Uh, we we kind of have this monastic vibe in our home, and so it's, it's important to us, uh, and while we're at it, we're also going to talk a little bit about studying the Scripture. Of course, uh, St. Benedict's big thing was ora et labora, prayer and work. Uh, and the prayer that he prayed, these Liturgy of the Hours, uh, was saturated in Scripture. And so to help us engage in this topic today, we're going to be talking with Craig St. Clair. He is the product manager over at Verbum. Uh, Verbum is a great program that helps you engage with Scripture uh, with the mind of the church. He's got his own connection to Benedictine monasticism and much more. Craig, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thanks for having me, Timothy. It's great to be here. Now, you have uh, quite a, a history with St. Benedict and the monastic uh, writings yourself. So talk a little bit about um, how your life has been shaped and influenced by by the the, the charism of of ora et labora, of work and prayer, of this, just the monastic rhythms of life? Well, it, it, it all started shortly after I came into the church as uh, a 21-year-old college student back in 1996. And I uh, was a convert to the faith with no religious background, Christian or otherwise, whatsoever. And I went through the RCIA process just as everyone uh, normally does when they come into the church. So it was fairly smooth sailing, and uh, I was a uh, going to be a senior in college at the time. And there was a, a Catholic college um, right around the corner from where I was received into the church in Lacey, Washington. And so. Um, all I really knew is that it was Catholic, and so I thought, well, they've got a Catholic campus ministry, and there'll be other Catholic young people there, and I'll go check it out. And at my first time checking out the uh, checking out the college, I discovered this monastery, and I had really no idea about monasteries or monasticism at all. And so um, I was, uh, as a part of checking out the campus ministry. I was also looking into possibly taking some classes there and then encountered um, the monks and the prayer and eventually the rule of St. Benedict. And I, um, I I just, I ate it, I ate it all up. So when most people come into the church, they're doing, uh, you know, they might go to daily mass, they might pray the rosary regularly, they might get involved in things in the parish. I was a, I was a busy college student and uh, I, I was kind of, I started hanging out in, in this monastic environment at St. Martin's. And so I was praying the liturgy of the hours and, and not just sitting down with a book, but I was sitting next to living, breathing monks, mm -hmm. praying the liturgy of the hours and getting to know them and taking classes with them and studying theology and scripture and philosophy with them. And so that was my, you know, what they call the, the, my neophyte year, my first year as a Catholic was in this living, breathing monastic tradition. Um, and at the, at the, at the same time that I was doing all of that, I was reading just everything I could get my hands on. I, you know, a, a friend of mine characterized my journey as, as having, 
as as my having read my way into the church, and the, sort of the the twin pillars of my um, that that really bolstered my faith early on, and that still bolster it today are um, G.K. Chesterton and uh, and Thomas Merton, and Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk, as probably many of you, mm-hmm. as many of you know, and so I was uh, sort of reading uh, a lot of his experience, um, mostly in the shorter essays and his treatises on monastic life, and um, was just was deeply attracted to this um, this contemplative vision that Merton had and this sort of ordered existence that he was living was um, was I was just completely taken by it. And so um, yeah. so I had the the lived monasticism on one hand, and I had, you know, all of this heady stuff from Thomas Merton on the other. And it was the uh, probably the most uncharacteristic formation for a first year Catholic right. um, that you could really get. You know, I, I think of, of monasticism and, and I, I look at the, the world around us and the culture around us that is so consumer driven and we, we get busier and busier trying to, to fill up our lives and to find uh, success and fulfillment. And what I find so amazing, and you, you talk about it a little bit in your story just now, is that it's in the process of, of slowing down and in the process of taking those those deeper breaths and taking a moment to to really dwell in the silence and not just experience it but to to inhabit the silence that we come into contact with the infinite god and we come into contact with that uh, which seems antithetical to uh, to our busyness we think busyness will satisfy us and yet in those moments of stillness in those moments of prayer and and contemplation that's the place where we find uh, th- the only thing that can fill that desire for the infinite in our lives. And that's the transcendent God who comes and meets us there. Yeah. It's re- what you say about slowing down is that was one of the most striking things about the monastic prayer and liturgy and really the rhythm of their whole day was the, the deliberateness and the focus and the, 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 the slowed down pace for lack of a better way to characterize it of their entire existence. Mm-hmm. And I thought, there is just something so right about this. And that when you walk outside of the monastic church and the monastery grounds, that is completely absent from our uh, our modern cultural context, not only outside in the quote unquote world, but you know, even in your in your average parish, I mean, sometimes, you, you know, the, the liturgy is, Eucharistic liturgy is often clocked at, at, at an hour uh, and if it is if it is less than that, people consider that a bonus. And if it's more than that, there's angry letters being written to the <laughs> pastor. And so, um, you know, not that the monastic life that I experienced there wasn't sort of regulated and on time. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the Benedictines are some of the most time conscious people I've ever met in my life. But but that 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 slow, deliberate and is something that I think we desperately need in our uh, in our world today and in our church. Yeah. You know, I. Well, I, I spent some time learning and praying the Liturgy of the Hours and, and getting to a place where I thought I was really entering into the prayer and engaging with it. Uh, and then I went and visited Subiaco uh, Monastery out in Arkansas. Mm. And where I was used to praying, um, oh, God, come to my assistance. Oh, Lord, make haste to help me. And I, I felt like I was doing it really slow. You get in there and you sit down and, it, and it's, oh, God, 
come to my assistance. It's like, they're, they're never going to get through this. And yet, as you sit in it and you marinate in it, you realize how much more those words, like a, like a, a good soaking rain, actually make their way past your lips and into your heart as you, you sit and dwell with them. Well, and it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because it, it's really interesting how confrontational silence can be and that that deliberate pace when you when you enter into that kind of environment you know all of these all of these thoughts that start exploding in your head are you like you say are they ever going to get through this and what you know and i mean yeah it's just a um a, a real opportunity to 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 live life on a slower speed that we don't we don't often get mm-hmm. Now, you work uh, now at Faith Life in Bellingham, Washington, on a product called Verbum. And this is, uh, of course, it comes from the, the, the word verbum, means word, right? Verbum Dei is the word of God. Uh, Dei Verbum is the, um, the encyclical, uh, not the encyclical, the, the Constitution on Sacred Scripture from Second Vatican Council. Uh, and it talks to us about how we approach Scripture. And Verbum as a product is this Catholic product that was initially uh, put out there for, for scholars to be able to approach the Word of God uh, with the mind of the church by cross-referencing all these different things. But it's turned into this, in, this different animal of helping the layperson like me uh, engage with Scripture in a new way. Talk just a little bit about the, the mission uh, and the, the basic uh, properties of Verbum and what, what it can do for someone like me. Yeah, Verbum originally started out um, as as an offshoot of the Logos Bible study software that um, was founded in the early '90s by evangelical Christians who were um, uh, the the founder of the company. Bob Pritchett was working at Microsoft, and he kind of had this side project going of this uh, of searching through this digital biblical text, and kind of all started from that. Um, very humble origin of him not wanting to have, you know, a slew of books open on his desk when he was doing Bible study. And so one thing kind of led to another. And as the, as the internet took off and became more of a thing through the nineties, Logos Bible study software sort of took off, uh, in the, at the same, at the same sort of pace. And, uh, so that, that went on for a number of years. And then, um, there were a handful of Catholics that were working for, um, Logos at the time, and uh, there uh, it came about uh, in uh, around t- 2010 to have a, a Catholic version of of Logos because there are you know one billion Catholics in the world, and the idea was is that well they need to study and understand the Scripture um, you know as much as anyone else any other Christian needs to, and so um, you know, but it, they really didn't have a lot on offer because their primary audience was, um, you know, to uh, to Protestant Christians, and so um, that it had sort of very uh, very humble beginnings in the in the, the 2010s and 2011s, and then uh, kind of uh, steadily and slowly grew from there to be. Um, it really now today stands in tandem with the, the Logos Bible study software. The, the company is now known as Faith Life, and they, they provide uh, technology solutions to churches. And the Logos Bible study software, along with Verbum, is the, um, uh, 
uh, kind of at the heart of all of that uh, as a as a study platform for the scriptures. But the 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 Catholic version verbum, um, you know, at the heart of it all is the is the biblical text. I mean, that's that's what um, logos and verbum have been since their inception. But the the valuable um, uh, the thing that the verbum allows you to do that you can really do in no other with with no other e-reader or Kindle or or anything else is you can have your your biblical text you can have your New American Bible translation or whatever um, biblical text um, you want but you can also have um, uh, you can have a copy of the Catechism and you can have uh, the lectionary and you can have multiple texts. Uh, open simultaneously uh, your uh, uh, biblical study for the day. I mean, this is essentially how I use it, is I will start with the lectionary readings for the day. I'll start with the gospel reading and, and read that. And, you know, I can I can then open up multiple resources in a, in a desktop computer environment or on an iPad, or it's less optimal on an iPhone, but it works really well on yeah. an iPhone um, as well. Yeah. And you can have multiple resources open simultaneously. Technology is a wonderful thing, especially when it helps us slow down and breathe more deeply, breathe in the words of scripture. Take a look at verbum.com and find the library that's right for you. We're going to continue this conversation with Craig St. Clair of Verbum right after this break. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. Be sure to mention at Verbum while you're at it. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today, we're talking with Craig St. Clair, product manager and grand poobah over at Verbum. Uh, it's a product from Faith Life in Bellingham, Washington, and it's a product that, uh, that helps you connect to the Word of God and read Scripture through the eyes of the church. Uh, Craig, thank you again for being with us today. Yeah, thanks. One of the ways that, uh, that I specifically uh, appreciate the way that Verbum operates is that uh, it, when I have my, my passage up, when I'm doing, wh whether I'm preparing for RCIA, whether I'm preparing for, uh, for a broadcast here, I pull up the thing that I want to talk about uh, and uh, look at the scripture of the day. I might get that from the lectionary and figure out what it is we're going to speak about. And then I have my, uh, my commentaries up and uh, as many commentaries as you have in your library. And as I link it to the scripture, as I read through it, maybe scroll down a little bit into the next uh, chapter, well, that commentary scrolls right along with me uh, and keeps everything linked together. So as I, if I move to a new chapter in the scripture, it moves to a new chapter in the commentary. Uh, as I click the link for a specific word, it tells me the, the, the Greek for it. It tells me all the different meanings. And then I can go and find my way into the catechism, uh, all the places that it uses that scripture. And it's just incredible. It, it makes it easier, I think, to be able to slow down and take those rhythms because the program is doing all the heavy lifting and all the heavy thinking and all of the speed. And I can just sit and kind of marinate in what this program offers up to me to contemplate. 
Yeah, you know, it's uh, you have you know when you talk about commentaries, you know, oftentimes we think about you know it's a it would be a contemporary scripture scholar that's writing something, but um, one of the uh, one of the great things that Verbum allows you to do is if you're sitting there with the you know with the passage of the day for the readings of the mass, um, you can have uh, that commentary. Uh, that patristic commentary from Augustine or St. John Chrysostom, or we have the entire uh, entire uh, church fathers from the Catholic University of America uh, in, in available in the software. And so to be able to to have those um, you know high quality scholarly texts along with the right. biblical passages um, is is huge. And my, my specific commentary of choice specifically for the Gospels is the Catina Aurea from, um, from mm. St. Thomas Aquinas and then uh, translated by uh, Blessed John Henry Newman, where it puts all of the church fathers into a room together to talk about this specific passage of Scripture. Uh, and I find that probably the most instructive as I try to understand how the church interprets a specific passage. Yeah, that particular text is a really unique one in the history of the church. I mean, there you not only get someone's perspective uh, like St. Thomas Aquinas, but you get him pulling together other patristic writers that have had something to say about a given biblical text. And so you really get um, in a really concentrated form that kind of cloud of witnesses that we really need when we're um, when we're looking to the to the tradition to understand scripture. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, you have this this deep appreciation for the, the contemplatives, you have this deep appreciation for monastic life. And now you, uh, as a lay person, you're working here at Verbum. What are some of the things that y'all are doing to now make Verbum uh, accessible to the lay person and take it maybe out of... Uh, what may have been just the providence of the scholar and to bring it into, uh, to the realm of, of the everyday user. Yeah. So there really has been, uh, kind of from the beginning, there's been a, a sense of, um, you know, appealing to, um, you know, appealing to the layperson. but it really was geared more toward someone who was really willing to, to dive into very, very dense scholarly commentaries. And, and over the, over the recent years, um, that has really uh, shifted quite a bit. I mean, we have a lot uh, in, in Verbum itself. We have um, you know authors like Scott Hahn and and popular, uh, uh, more popular and more accessible authors that can really help people um, understand the scriptures. And we offer um, the Verbum software in what we call base packages, and that consists of a library of books and then the features and functionality of the software. And so we've got um, various levels of those base packages that are um, more entry level for someone who's, you know, just starting to get into serious Bible study to, um, you know, our priests and our deacons who are preparing for homilies and, you know, on up to biblical scholars that are engaging the text in multiple languages and and really need, um, you know, top level academic academic resources. Um, but the, but, but you're right in that the, the history of, of Logos and with Verbum, um, there, there really has been sort of a, a bias or more of an orientation toward the scholarly. And, um, you know, I have a, a master's degree in systematic theology, but I'm not, 
uh, an academic per se, and I'm not uh, teaching. And so my use with Verbum is as a as a layperson and as someone who is wanting to engage the scriptures and the tradition more deeply and to be able to share that with other people. And so um, a, a big part of what um, what I'm wanting to do with the software going forward is to make it more accessible to you know, the average Catholic layperson who may be brand new to, um, to biblical studies, or maybe they've, you know, gotten their feet wet with a, with a Bible study in a parish and they want, um, they want something a little bit more. And, and we do have a, a free version of the software that someone can download mm-hmm. right now, Verbum Basic, um, that has uh, a couple of Bibles in it and uh, a, a few devotional resources and some Bible dictionaries and a um, an entry-level commentary to kind of give you a sense of what that is. Um, and we've got several other collections and, and resources that you can go on to verbum.com and buy and kind of add to that. Um, but I'm, I'm really, really interested in optimizing uh, the software experience for, um, you know, the, the varieties of, uh, of levels of lay people that are, that are out there. I mean, the Catholic audience is, is a, is a, it's, it's a big and diverse group. Right. And uh, and I, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to uh, to grow verbum in that direction. Yeah, we're talking today with Craig St. Clair, uh, product manager at verbum uh, verbum dot com. So uh, you, you have it's a little bit of an investment to get into some of the libraries, uh, but you have the different levels of libraries. And, and I think that, you know, if you think about, oh, man, I'm going to pay two hundred dollars to get into a to a base uh, library just above the free level, that seems like a lot. But at the same time, the number of resources and books that you're getting there, uh, if you just take your, your, your Kindle uh, or, your, or your, your book budget for a couple of months, or maybe even if that's a, a book budget for a year for you, and you invested in this, not only do you have those books at your fingertips, but you have the ability to engage them more deeply and, and in a systematic uh, and, and cross-referenced way. Yeah, there are basically two ways that you can that you can get into the Verbum software. So you can buy the you know the base packages that I described. That really is the the um, the best value. I mean, you're saving, you're paying a fraction for the books that you would pay, you know, it, on for Kindle books or for print books or um, and those are uh, special relationships that we've negotiated with, you know, top Catholic publishers to make that happen. Um, but you can also just go in and get the free software and buy a book if that's what you, um, the way you want to approach it. So, but the, but those base packages are really um, where the, 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 the features of the software and the content in the software really shines. Now you grew up and came into the church in the Seattle Archdiocese, but moved away to the, the East Coast and now you've come to your senses and you're moving back to the best coast. Um, <laughs> so, but a lot of people have an idea of the Pacific Northwest that it's largely pagan, that there's, you know, what, what good could ever come from way up there. And yet this is the home of, uh, of Verbum and of Lagos. And uh, there's, there's this scripture uh, emphasis that, that comes out of this area. So talk to that a little bit. What, what do you think most people don't realize about the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, you know, the, 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 
the the Catholic Church in this area is is alive and well. I mean, there's there's absolutely uh, no doubt in in my mind. I've lived north of Boston for almost uh, twenty years now, and you know you've had uh, you know a lot of there are out there there are a lot of cultural Catholics. The church was out there was uh, you know much larger. I mean, the Boston Archdiocese is one of the historically Catholic areas in the country, and there's uh, churches closing and, you know, a lot of, uh, frustrations around those sorts of things. But, um, you know, in the, in the Seattle area, in my experience, you have had, um, you have had, uh, bigger churches, uh, more committed Christians in those churches. And, you know, you've got all, all kinds of options. If you don't, if you don't want to be Catholic, right. uh, if you want, <laughs> if you want nothing at all, that's readily available for you. Um, and so, my my experience, both coming into the church in this area and coming back to the church in this area, is that uh, that churches are full and churches are alive, and that that's something that um, I'm really looking forward to re-engaging and um, getting back into into the the life of the, um, the the parishes here in the in the Seattle area. And um, you know, there's I, there is more of um, I think what could be called a missionary element to um, just numerically, I, I mean, I think this is still the case that just by the sheer numbers of Christians that the that the Northwest and the Seattle area is still considered mission territory. And so there's there's no lack of opportunity to to share one's one's Christianity and one's faith and to uh, to just be a good neighbor to to the people around you. Um, now, now, today, more than ever, I think. To live a little bit of that, uh, that that prayer and that work, and I think you know, in the Seattle area, I think it's more incumbent upon us and and uh, a little bit more recognized that hey, I need that time in prayer if I'm going to go out and and live an effective life and to and to stay connected with God because it's not naturally going to happen in this culture. Yeah, well, and you know, you can look back fifty or sixty years ago, and you could point to all kinds of Christian elements in the culture. Um, and that uh, I, I think most people recognize that that's just no longer the case. But our, um, you know, sometimes we still operate as though, you know, it, it, it's okay out in the culture, or the values are still there. And there's really a um, there's really a deliberateness and a focus that um, everyone in the church needs to be able to um, embrace. And you know, that's where um, you know when I look at um, the monastic life and the monastic traditions. I mean, there was this, there was this real sense of trying to get, uh, to, to flee from the world and to really, uh, to really be in the world, but not of the world. And, and that, that kind of orientation is something that I think we, we need to, to rediscover and re embrace that, um, that it, there isn't somebody else that's going to hold our hand and, and do it for us. We really have to own this and take responsibility for our own faith and our own uh, our own uh, commitment to Christ and, and to really be able to live this. Yeah. We're talking today with Craig St. Clair, product manager of Verbum. Go take a look at it, verbum.com. Find the library that's right for you as you engage with Scripture and deepen your faith through the tools offered there at Faith Life. There's a lot more to come right after this, so don't go anywhere. But do go to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Leave us a comment, share something there, and then come right back 
because there's more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today we've been talking a little bit about St. Benedict, a little bit about this wonderful software, Verbum. You can find out about it by going to verbum.com, checking out the libraries they have there. Uh, I use it all the time. Uh, We also talked a little bit about what it means for us to wait on the Lord. We talked with Craig St. Clair. He's a product manager over at Verbum. Uh, had some great things to talk about in terms of his relationship with St. Benedict and with monasticism and how that helped him come into the church. It was a great conversation that if you missed any part of, you're going to want to go back and hear. Uh, you might also want to share it. And if you do, have no fear. We've got the archives up online over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And while you're there, there is actually there's more to this conversation with Craig St. Clair that's available to all those who support the show through Patreon, who for as little as $5 a month help ensure that this show continues week in and week out, bringing you these fantastic interviews. And for as little as one cup of coffee every month, they provide this to you and to those people who support the show. I provide an extra segment with our guest with a couple of extra questions. This week's no exception. It's right over there at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link, join their numbers, and get access to all the extra segments that we've produced over time. Now let's go ahead and get into our reading from Scripture and from church history. And we talked in that first segment, if we only knew, if we only knew how much the God of the universe, the infinite God who created all things, wanted to be with us and to commune with us, if we understood the depth and the mystery that is his desire to be with us, we would, we would do anything. We would wait in a line longer than my wife waited in to get into Build-A-Bear, right? We would do anything to be with him. And I, I, that when I think of that, I, I call to mind St. Thomas Aquinas, who at the end of his life had a profound mystical experience with the Eucharist. And even though he had given so many explanations and written hymns and done so much to heighten the church's understanding of the Eucharist, he got to a place where he thought everything he had written was worthless and straw compared to the knowledge that he gained through that mystical experience of what it was for God to desire to be with him and to give his own body for us through this mystery of the Eucharist. So too, for you and I, what can we do to get a grasp of this, to understand what God wants for us or the, the, the passion that he has for us? Well, Scripture goes a long way to try to, to convey that to us. So I think the first thing that we do is we, we pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to understand and open our hearts to get a, a taste of his love for us. But then we can't just wait for it. We have to actively wait. We have to to prepare ourselves and our disposition to receive him. And one of the ways we do that is we encounter scripture. And we encounter a scripture like this epistle from this Sunday's uh, mass readings, where it says uh, in in the epistle of Ephesians, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. 
as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and without blemish before him. In love, he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ in accord with the favor of his will, for the praise and glory of his grace that he granted us in the beloved. In him we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of transgressions in accord with the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will in accord with his favor that he set forth in him as a plan for the fullness of times to sum up all things in Christ in heaven and on earth. In him, we were also chosen, destined in accord with the purpose of the one who accomplishes all things according to the intention of his will, so that we might exist for the praise of his glory, we who first hoped in Christ. In him, you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in him, you were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, which is the first installment of our inheritance toward redemption as God's possession to the praise of his glory. That reading comes from the epistle of Ephesians, St. Paul to the Ephesians. And you can tell that Paul can't find a big enough word to express, and so he keeps looking for it, uh, to express the fact that God has reconciled us to himself, that he gave his own son, and through the sacrifice of his son on the cross, has reconciled us to himself. Now, our reading from church history is similar in that St. Ambrose is trying so hard to help us understand this love that the Father has for us so that we, in in amazement and gratitude, would turn ourselves and devote ourselves to holiness and devote ourselves to, to, to seek God and to find communion with God. And so here in his exposition of Psalm 118, St. Ambrose says this, My Father and I will come and make our home with him. Let your door stand open to receive him. Unlock your soul to him. Offer him a welcome in your mind, and then you will see the riches of simplicity, the treasures of peace, the joy of grace. Throw wide the gate of your heart. Stand before the sun of the everlasting light that shines on every man. This true light shines on all, but if anyone closes his window, he will deprive himself of eternal light. If you shut the door of your mind, you shut out Christ. Though he can enter, he does not want to force his way in rudely or compel us to admit him against our will. Born of a virgin, he came forth from the womb as the light of the whole world in order to shine on all men. His light is received by those who long for the splendor of perpetual light that night can never destroy. The sun of our daily experience is succeeded by the darkness of night, but the sun of holiness never sets, because wisdom cannot give place to evil. Blessed, then, is the man at whose door Christ stands and knocks. Our door is faith. If it is strong enough, the whole house is safe. 
This is the door by which Christ enters. So the church says in the Song of Songs, The voice of my brother is at the door. Hear his knock. Listen to him, asking to enter. Open to me, my sister, my betrothed, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew and my hair with the moisture of the night. When does God, the Word, most often knock at your door? When his head is covered with the dew of night. He visits in love those in trouble and temptation to save them from being overwhelmed by their trials. His head is covered with dew or moisture when those who are his body are in distress. That is the time when you must keep watch so that when the bridegroom comes, he may not find himself shut out and take his departure. If you were to sleep, if your heart were not wide awake, he would not knock, but would go away. If your heart is watchful, he knocks and asks for you to open the door to him. Our soul has a door. It has gates. As Psalm 118 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, eternal gates, and the King of glory will enter. If you open the gates of your faith, the King of glory will enter your house in the triumphal procession in honor of his passion. Holiness, too, has its gates. We read in Scripture what the Lord Jesus said through his prophet, Open for me the gates of holiness. It is the soul that has its door, its gates. Christ comes to this door and knocks. He knocks at these gates, open to him. He wants to enter to find his bride waiting and watching. And this, as St. Ambrose has told us, this is our task, to recognize that we're waiting just like that bride. We are waiting for Christ. Christ, who is the very incarnation of the infinite God, who alone can fill our own desire for the infinite. We can never be fulfilled as creatures who long for the infinite by any amount of finite materials or finite things or, or finite activities. Only the transcendent God, only Christ himself can give us satisfaction, can give us full and total happiness and joy and love. And so all of these other things that we, that we face, all of these other tasks and challenges to our day, ultimately, if they are something that stands between us and God, if they, they prevent us from running full speed into the waiting arms of Christ, then they're really not worth anything. Certainly, we have to take care of our body, and we take care of our neighbors, and we take care of our families, but insofar as any of those things become hindrances to us entering into a full and robust relationship with Christ, then those things are detrimental. And so we have to find that balance, to find that place where Christ, we prefer nothing to Christ and to his love. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Rodney Moxley and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click the Patreon link and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.